The Old Testament reading is Psalm 130, Psalm 130. And this is the inerrant and infallible word of the Lord. A song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And now turn with me to Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. And this is our sermon text for this morning. We are taking a break this morning from Romans. And we'll consider this passage from Luke. Luke chapter 7, verses, uh, verses 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointments. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. In our study of Romans, as we have been working through the first chapters of that letter, One truth, perhaps the the major truth that has been impressed upon us uh, by the Spirit through that letter is uh, the truth that we are justified, that is, we are made right uh, with God by faith apart from works or by faith alone. And the faith uh, that saves us, that justifies us, of course, is uh, 
not just faith in God generically, but faith in the Son of God, in uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, the question, as we have been uh, hearing this truth, the question that is impressed on us is, do I believe? Uh, Do I believe uh, in Jesus? Uh, Is my faith in him and my trusting in him uh, for that justification and salvation, which only he can give us and which is uh, through uh, through faith and, and, and not by works? Our passage this morning uh, confronts us or uh, impresses upon us a a question, a similar question, but perhaps this is a more challenging question than uh, do I believe? And the question is, do I not only trust in Jesus as my Savior from sin, but do I love him? Do I love him as my Savior and Lord? Now, at the start, let me be clear, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not suggesting that uh, somehow our salvation depends upon how much we love Jesus. Uh, uh, Praise God, that is not the case. Where would any of us be if our salvation depended upon uh, the strength of our love for Jesus? But what I am saying is this, that the love that we have for Jesus, uh, the love that we have for him is a good indicator of how well, by faith, we have apprehended uh, the greatness uh, of Christ and the greatness of what he has done for us. Uh, Another way to put it would be this. Uh, As Christians, we are called not only to believe in Jesus for salvation, to trust in him as our Savior, but we should also love him. We should love him. Or we could put it yet another way. Um, We should not only love the doctrine of justification by faith alone. I hope that as we have been going through Romans that you have been increasing in your love for this precious truth, but we ought not only love the truth that we have been justified by faith, but we also ought to love the one who has justified us. We ought to love the one who has given us this life by his death on the cross and resurrection. And of course, that is Jesus. And in this passage from Luke's gospel, Luke paints for us this beautiful picture of what love for Christ looks like in action. And he does so by describing a woman. Uh, He calls her a certain woman. She happens to be uh, known as a sinner in the community. She comes to the house of a Pharisee who is entertaining Jesus. And she does so in order to express Uh, the profound devotion and love that she has for her Savior. Uh, First, as we look at this passage, we'll consider, we'll look at uh, the demonstration, the display of love that this woman shows towards our Lord. And then secondly, we'll consider the reason why this woman loved Jesus as much as she did. So first, let's look at this remarkable demonstration of love on the part of the woman. In verse 36, Luke tells us that one of the Pharisees uh, asked Jesus to dine with him. And later we learn that this uh, Pharisee's name is Simon. And so Simon, uh, the Pharisee, uh, invites Jesus to his house for a meal. Now, uh, we may be tempted to think because we know all about the Pharisees and uh, their hatred of Jesus, their animosity towards him. We might be tempted to think that this was a uh, insincere invitation, that Simon had some ulterior motive, that he was uh, going to try to uh, attack Jesus in some way, uh, 
However, the impression that we get with Luke, how Luke describes this is that uh, his imitation is genuine, that uh, Simon had no evil purpose in inviting uh, Jesus to his house to dine. Uh, perhaps he just wanted to find out more. Uh, probably he wanted to, to learn more about this Galilean teacher who has been attracting so much attention uh, because of his teaching and his uh, works that he was doing. And so uh, Simon extends what appears to be what we'll take at face value to be a genuine uh, act of courtesy, of friendliness uh, to invite Jesus uh, to his home. And this sort of thing uh, that Luke describes for us here is not uncommon, that a religious leader, uh, such as a Pharisee, may invite another rabbi or religious leader to his home. And he would also uh, invite other guests and even open the doors uh, so that others could come and, and, and uh, be a part of what would be a discussion, a uh, discussion of the Torah, the law, or a theological debate. And so the doors often uh, would be open for people to come uh, to listen. And so uh, this seems to be the reason why this woman uh, seemingly comes out of the blue, uh, uninvited, it appears, uh, to the house of Simon. But uh, probably she knew that uh, this sort of... Uh, banquet was taking place and it was more or less open and so she came uh, to the gathering and by the way uh, this woman that uh, Luke uh, does not name uh, often you will hear that this is Mary Magdalene uh, you've heard I'm sure that Mary Magdalene is a former prostitute um, however uh, Luke does not say that and it's, uh, it's merely a, a supposition because Luke will go on in chapter 8 to mention Mary Magdalene, how uh, Jesus healed her uh, of demons. Uh, but uh, uh, it's probably safer to say uh, that this is an anonymous, anonymous woman. We don't know who she is. Probably not Mary Magdalene. But this is the scene. Uh, Jesus and the other guests, they are reclining at table at Simon's house. And uh, we can imagine... Uh, Others from the community uh, standing or sitting uh, along the walls, uh, listening to the conversation, listening to uh, what these uh, uh, Pharisees, these rabbis are, are saying to one another. But this woman didn't come here to this feast or to this banquet in order to be a passive spectator, but she came for a very different purpose. And that was she came to express the profound, profound adoration and love and affection that she had for Jesus. Uh, she was known to be a sinner. And she comes to Jesus and she, she wets uh, his feet with her tears. Uh, she wipes his feet with her hair. Uh, she uh, kisses uh, uh, the feet of Jesus. Jesus says, she has not stopped kissing my feet. And uh, she takes uh, uh, this ointment, which we'll talk about, and anoints his feet with it. And her love was the love not only of affection and adoration, but the love of uh, a profound reverence and respect for the person of Jesus. Uh, she loves Jesus with abandon, and yet she does so in a way that shows her, her respect for his person. Notice that she only touches his feet. Uh, she, she, she will only... Um, pour out her, her, her devotion to Jesus in this way only, only upon the most distant, the most humble part of his body, as though she knows she is not worthy to, to approach any closer uh, to the person of Jesus. But she, she lavishes her, her uh, affection for Jesus 
uh, as she, she anoints her feet and kisses his feet and so on. And before we say anything more about this woman, just, just in her devotion to Christ, uh, there's much uh, for us here to learn. Uh, Luke describes it's a very poignant scene. Uh, this woman is overcome with emotion. Uh, she is weeping. Uh, the word that Luke describes or uses to describe her weeping is actually a word that can be used uh, to describe rainfall. And so her eyes are not just a welling up. Uh, there's not just a tear or two that falls down her cheek, uh, but she's sobbing. Uh, she must be sobbing great tears because there are so, so much tears coming from her. She's able to, uh, to wet the feet uh, of the Lord. Uh, no one offers her, offers her a towel to wipe uh, the feet. No doubt the, uh, the people there uh, were astounded to see what was happening. They knew that she was a sinner. Nobody uh, wanted to uh, give her any help in any way. And so she has nothing to wipe his feet off with. And so she uses her hair. It's a beautiful scene of this un, uninhibited uh, display of, 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 of a love that she has for Jesus as her Savior. You know, we're often told uh, that uh, we should follow our heart. And when we hear that, uh, we are appropriately suspicious. Uh, should I really follow my heart? I know my heart. The Bible says my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Is this good advice to tell me to follow my heart? But here, in the best possible sense, in the best possible way, this woman is following her heart. She was so filled with gratitude towards Jesus. She was so filled with love towards Jesus that her heart led her to do what was the most natural thing for her to do at that moment. That was to pour out her, 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 love, for, her love for Christ by this display of devotion and, and, and anointing his feet and, and kissing his feet. And so we see here an act of pure devotion, even worship. And it comes straight from the heart. And so what Luke is showing us here, he's showing us a picture of what uh, the first great commandment is. Uh, you remember when Jesus was asked what was the greatest commandment? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And so at this moment, with the, with the incarnate Lord, with Jesus physically present there, this woman uh, displays uh, this kind of love for Christ. Perhaps uh, she has uh, shown this love like no one has ever shown to Jesus before in the way she, she pours out her heart to him, you know, sobbing and, and uh, wetting the, uh, the feet of Jesus with her tears and kissing his feet and so on. And her love was for the person of Jesus. It was Jesus whom she loved. As Christians, we, uh, we should love God's truth. It is good that we love the truth. It is good that we love uh, sound doctrine, sound theology. Uh, it is good that we, that we love the scriptures. We should love these things. But all of these things are meant to bring us to the feet of Jesus. All of this is meant to show us and to bring us to the person of Christ. The person of Jesus who is at the right hand of the Father, who is the, the true God-man who came into the world in order to love us. We are to love the scriptures. We are to love doctrine in order that we might come to Jesus to love him. 
It is Jesus who loved you. It is Jesus who died for you, was raised for you. It is Jesus who calls you in the gospel to communion, fellowship with him as your savior. And unlike knowing any other person in this world, we know Jesus only by faith. But by faith, we can have genuine communion with Christ. We can enjoy that fellowship that he gives to us by his spirit. And so you and I are called then uh, to not only know Jesus, not only to believe in Jesus, but to love him with all our heart, with all the fervency and devotion that this woman herself showed when she expressed her love for Christ. So she loved Jesus from the heart, she also loved Jesus extravagantly. Uh, Luke tells us that this woman brought with her, in verse 37, an alabaster flask of ointment. Uh, so the word for ointment here, this is not the usual ointment or oil that was used for anointing on different occasions, but this is referring to a very costly uh, kind of ointment. And so uh, clearly this was uh, a treasure that this woman owned. Perhaps, perhaps probably, uh, this was the greatest treasure that she had in her life that she owned, this alabaster flask of ointment. And she brought it because she wanted to bring the very best to Jesus. She wanted to give to Jesus all that she had. And so she brought this alabaster flask of oil, of ointment, and, and poured it out on his feet. Do you bring your very best to Jesus? Do you give your best to Christ? What is most valuable, what is most precious and dear to you, do you bring it to the feet of Jesus? For example, in your giving, do you give in a way that is truly sacrificial? Is it an expression of your devotion and love to Jesus when you give not just what is disposable, but what truly is costly? Perhaps there's nothing more uh, precious to us than money, than our time. How about your time? Are you giving? Are you willing to give of your time to give up your interests or hobbies in order to, to serve Christ, to serve others for the sake of Christ, to, to, to show your, your love for Jesus in the way that you uh, give uh, of your time and your resources? This woman's love was extraordinary. And Jesus holds her up as the standard of the love to which we are called as those who belong to Christ. Love from the heart, self-sacrificial, extravagant love. And if we're honest with ourselves, we have to confess and admit that we don't love Jesus in this way. We don't love him with our heart and soul and strength and minds. Uh, this, this woman's display of devotion to Christ, we, uh, we're put to shame by it. We're, we're far too uh, reserved in our uh, affection, our devotion to Christ. And why did she love him in such a way? That's, the, that's what we'll consider next, the reason for this woman's great love for Jesus. And it's easy for us to, to discern the reason why she loved Jesus so much, because Jesus spells it out for us. In, in uh, verse 47, Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, Jesus is not saying here 
that because she loved Jesus much, therefore her many sins were forgiven. But what he is saying here is this, that the result, the fruits, the consequence of her being forgiven much was that she loved much. Because Jesus had forgiven her great sins, therefore she loved him much in return. And that's true for you and me as well. The more you grasp the depth of the love that Jesus has given you, the more you understand the greatness of the mercy and the grace with which he has dealt with you, the more you will love Jesus. Let's go back to Simon and his response to this uh, uninhibited display of, of affection and love that this woman showed towards Jesus. Uh, Simon, the, the proud Pharisee, the respectable religious leader, uh, he wasn't merely embarrassed by this display of affection. He was scandalized by it. This was an outrage. He says in verse 39, uh, thinking to himself, if this man were a prophet, and perhaps that was why he invited him there. Is he really a prophet? And now he has his answer. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him, for she is a sinner. Simon knew she was a sinner. Everybody knew she was a sinner. Luke doesn't tell us what kind of sin uh, made her notorious in that, that, uh, in that community. Perhaps she was a prostitute. Perhaps she was an adulteress. All we need to know is that this woman engaged in some kind of a scandalous behavior uh, that uh, tarnished her reputation, and so she was labeled a sinner. And Simon assumes that if Jesus knew who she was, if Jesus knew what sort of person she was, that Jesus, a good, upright a Jewish man, he would have nothing to do with her. He certainly would not let this woman uh, touch his feet and, and pour out her tears upon his feet. And so in verse 39, again, he thinks to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known whom and what sort of woman this is and who is touching him, for she is a sinner. But then Jesus responds to Simon, and uh, although Simon did not say this out loud, uh, Jesus knew his thoughts and responds to them, and there's Simon's answer. Uh, he is a prophet. He knew what Simon was thinking. And he tells a parable about a moneylender who had two debtors. One uh, debtor owed this moneylender 500 denarii, and the other owed him 50 denarii. Uh, just one denarius was uh, the equivalent of a day's wage for like a soldier or um, uh, an average laborer. And then when neither one could pay, the moneylender, uh, rather than throwing these two deadbeats into debtor's prison, uh, he forgives their sins. And then he puts this question before Simon in verse 42. He says, now, which of them, which of him uh, will love him more? Which of these uh, men who were forgiven these debts, which will love the, the money lender more? And I love the way that uh, Simon ventures this very cautious, tentative answer uh, as though this is some kind of real difficult riddle to figure out. He says, uh, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt." And we're thinking, come on, Simon, uh, this is not difficult. A, a child could answer this question. 
The one who is forgiven the small debt will be mildly pleased. He will be happy. But the one who is forgiven the massive debt, he will be ecstatic. If you are forgiven a huge debt of money that you owe to someone, obviously you are going to be very happy. You're going to have a special place in your heart uh, for that person. Uh, imagine the mortgage company calling you uh, this week and saying, uh, we just wanted to let you know that we have decided to uh, cancel uh, the debt that you owe us. So uh, all free and clear, you don't owe us any more money. I mean, how would that make you feel? You would uh, be ecstatic. You would be walking on air. You might send flowers to the mortgage company uh, just to let them know that you're thinking of them and that you love them. You would be very happy because of this forgiveness of debt. But as wonderful as that would be, that is nothing. That is nothing compared to the greater debt, the infinitely greater debt that we have with God because of our sin. We sin against each other and we, in a sense, put each other in our debt when we sin against one another and we, we confess our sin, we, we, we forgive one another, and, and then we go on. But none of, us is, 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 none of us is infinite. But God is infinite. So how do we repay a debt when we sin against an infinite God? Well, we can't. We are forever in his debt. An entire lifetime of penance and suffering cannot atone for our sins because we have sinned against a God who is without bounds. A million years in hell, a million, million years in hell could not atone for our sin. I don't think we often grasp the, the, the true magnitude of what our sin has done to us as far as our guilt before God. What do, what do we deserve because of our sin? Not just um, a little bit of suffering, not just a little bit of bearing the, the righteous wrath of God, but because we have sinned against a God who is infinitely holy, who is infinite in being. Therefore, the debt that we owe is to suffer the unspeakable, the unbearable, the agonizing wrath of God continuously, unremittingly, forever and ever with never a pause, never a rest, without never any hope of ever escaping. That is the debt that we are in with God because of our guilt and our sin. And God must deal with us in this way because he is holy, because he is righteous. He cannot but deal with sin in a way that is just and true to his own holy character. And so he must be just. And that justice for sin is an eternity of bearing his wrath. That is the debt that we are in with God because of our sin. And it's only as we begin to grasp the magnitude of that, that the, that the wonder, the glory of the gospel comes into its own in our hearts and our minds. Because the gospel is the good news that God, through Jesus Christ, that he forgives you. He forgives your debt. He does not hold it against you anymore for the sake of Christ. And God does, he does not just forgive 99% of our debt and then say, okay, the last 1%, this is up to you. You've got to atone for your sin, your guilt somehow. You've got to suffer for it. No, God says, I forgive all of your sin, 100%, everything. 
It's all forgiven. It's wiped clear forever. I'd love to know how this woman came to know this truth about Christ. Somehow she, come, she, she knew, she understood somehow that, that her sins were forgiven because of this, this, this man, because of her faith in him. Uh, someone has pointed out that if you line up Luke's gospel with Matthew's gospel, uh, what, you, what you'll see is that not long before this incident here in chapter seven of Luke's gospel, uh, Jesus uh, proclaims uh, the words that we read in Matthew's gospel in Matthew chapter 11. Uh, Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so there is the possibility, at least, perhaps this is speculation, perhaps. The woman heard Jesus declare these words. And who was more heavy laden with guilt than this woman? Uh, the shame that she carried with her. She was infamous, notorious. She was a sinner. And as much as others heaped this shame upon her, she herself knew in her heart that, that she was guilty. She was a sinner. So she felt that. But then she heard the words of Jesus, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so perhaps, she came to Jesus with that heavy burden and received from him that rest that he promises. But whatever the case was, we do know for a fact that she knew she was forgiven. She knew she was forgiven because she loved Jesus. She loved Jesus. And this is, uh, there's, a, there's a spiritual principle here that you see also in the life of the Apostle Paul. He also was a great sinner. He knew he was forgiven much too. Um, Paul uh, says of his own life in 1 Timothy, 1, uh, 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, uh, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Uh, Paul calls himself the chief of sinners and in a sense he was. He persecuted the church of God. He was doing the work of the devil and yet, who worked harder than Paul after he came uh, to believe in Christ, after he understood that his sins were forgiven? He, Paul says, no one worked harder than I did. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15, it's the grace of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. In other words, what Paul is saying is, because I have been forgiven so much, I have devoted my life so much to the service of Christ. Because God's grace to me was so, so massive in his love and forgiveness. Because I was such a sinner. Therefore, because of that reason, I have devoted myself and I've worked harder than all of them. I've given myself in ways that no one has in the service of Christ. Paul's not boasting, but he's putting forward this truth. He who is forgiven much, loves much. It was true for this woman. It was true for the Apostle Paul. It was certainly not true for Simon. Well, Simon received Jesus into his house, but there was certainly no affection or love on his part. He was polite. Uh, he was civil. 
but that's, that was it. He was friendly enough to invite him to a banquet at his house, but he showed no true affection for Jesus. And Jesus pointed that out to Simon. He says in verses 44 through 46, he says, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Now, it's important to understand that that Luke isn't telling us that Simon was a rude host. It wasn't that he was rude towards Jesus. It's that he just didn't extend any courtesies beyond the bare minimum. It wasn't necessarily expected of him that he would give water to Jesus to wash his feet or to greet him with a kiss or to anoint his head with oil. But it shows the fact that he didn't do these things shows where his heart was is his, his love for Jesus was minimal, if, that, if, if at all. It didn't move him beyond the, the barest standards of politeness. In the words of Jesus, he loved little. He loved little. And there are very many people who are very much like Simon the Pharisee today. It's not that they hate Christ. At least they don't feel in their heart any sort of hatred towards Christ. Of course, we know spiritually that those who, who don't know Christ are, they are at enmity against God. But that doesn't mean that subjectively a person has some sort of uh, uh, you know, rage in his heart that he feels against Christ. They may consider themselves to be quite civil, uh, quite open uh, to uh, the Bible, to Jesus as a good teacher. And so, in a sense, uh, they're very polite. Uh, they like Jesus. They even respect Jesus. Uh, in a sense, it's, you could say in a manner, say, uh, in a manner of uh, speaking, that they're even willing to entertain Jesus, to have him at his house or at their house. Uh, they might have a Bible on their coffee table. They might have some religious you know, trappings in their house. They might you know, go to church from time to time because, but because Jesus is, is worthy of that. But in their hearts, they keep their distance. Uh, they are civil, but they are cold. They are cordial, but aloof. And people will claim to, to know Jesus, even to believe in him. But when you examine your li- their lives, you see that there was nothing like f- the fruit of what we see here from this woman. Nothing like devotion, love, a sincere affection and, and uh, adoration of Jesus for who he is, as the Savior. For many people, Jesus, like for Simon, he's a mere acquaintance. He's not the treasure, the joy, the delight, the heart of that person. And of course, the problem is, they don't really know Christ. You know, Jesus is you know, speaking in a manner, you know, he's, he, he says, Simon loved little, but the truth is, Simon loved not at all. He did not have true love for Christ. And we have to confess that even as those who know Christ, as those whom God has redeemed as the people of God, sometimes our devotion does not go any higher or any uh, far beyond that of Simon the Pharisee. And the problem is this. The problem is this. It's because we think too little of our sin and of the forgiveness that we have received from Christ. 
We can think so much like Simon. We can, we can compare ourselves to others and we measure up pretty well against others. And so we can think about our own sins as not, not that great, not that serious. Um, our sins are, are, are peccadillos. Uh, they're, they're trifling faults in comparison to the truly heinous sins of other people. And if we think like that, we'll think that we've been forgiven little and we will love little. Notice how Jesus asked Simon this question. Do you see this woman? There's more to this question that meets the eye because, of course, Simon sees the woman. But he did not see the same woman that Jesus saw. When Simon looked on this woman, all she or all he saw was a sinner. The sinful woman that had come into his house and now was making this embarrassing scene. All Simon saw was Hester Prynne, if you remember reading the Scarlet Letter. Hester Prynne had to wear that big scarlet A on her chest. Everywhere she went in the whole village, everywhere she went, she felt that shame because she was literally branded with this letter A as a sinner, an adulteress. And whoever saw her could see nothing else in her but that she was a sinner. And this is the way Simon saw this woman. But Jesus saw a different woman. Jesus saw a woman who was filled with a love for him. He saw a woman who had been changed by grace, a woman whose sins were forgiven, a new creation. He no longer saw her as what she was, a guilty sinner, but he saw her as one who was forgiven and redeemed and restored, a child of God. That's who Jesus saw. And if your trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is how God sees you too. He no longer sees you as what you once were, guilty before God, deserving of condemnation, a sinner. But he sees you as you are in Christ, forgiven, a daughter of God, a son of God, restored, redeemed, a new creature. And the more by faith you grasp that truth of what you are in Christ, of how God sees you in Christ, that your guilt which is great, and that's true for all of us. Our guilt is great. It's been taken away. We've been forgiven. The more by faith you apprehend that, the more, like this woman, you will love the Lord Jesus. And the last thing that the Lord said to this woman in verse 50 is, your faith is saved. You go in peace. Your faith is saved. You Notice that Jesus doesn't say, your love has saved you. But he says, your faith has saved you. When Jesus said in verse 48, your sins are forgiven. All the religious experts at the banquet, they immediately began to think about what they considered to be wrong with that statement. Who is this that even forgives sins? But the woman responds in a better way. She believed Jesus. She believed that her sins were forgiven. So it was by faith that she was forgiven. It was by faith that she understood uh, that she had been loved by Christ. And therefore, because of her faith, she loved him in return. And if we are to love Jesus like this woman loved him, it begins with faith. And it begins by understanding this about Christ. What 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. 
We love him because he first loved us. For that reason, the impression that I want you to take away from this passage, the, the, the truth that I want you to, to gain from this passage of Scripture is not, not only the love that this woman showed for Jesus, but even more importantly, the love that Jesus showed for this woman. Now, you may not have a reputation like this woman for being a sinner, but in the sight of God, we are all sinners, right? And so never forget what you are apart from the grace of God, but at the same time, never forget what you are by the grace of God. You are forgiven, you are justified, and you have been loved. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, you have been loved with a love that is immeasurable, a love that is from eternity, a love that never fails. You have been loved. And the more you grasp the depth and the riches of this love with which Christ has loved you, the more you will love him. And the more you will begin to resemble this woman and your devotion and adoration and affection for the Lord Jesus. Let's pray.